Hello again, everyone. Um, whether it's morning, noon, or night when you're watching this, I uh, just wanted to welcome you to another another Sunday service as we continue with um, doing our best to fellowship together online. Um, as difficult as that is, um, there, there's a bit of helps with our uh, with our usage of social media, but also um, uh, video chat and such. Um, we're continuing on again in Ephesians, and and we're on part two of a four-part look at Ephesians chapter four, verses one to sixteen. I'll, I'll just read verses one to sixteen so that it's clear in our minds what we're looking at, um, and then and then we'll we'll look at uh, what the word of the Lord says and, and how to apply it to our lives. So Ephesians four, verses one. Uh, through 16. Again, we're, we're going to be focusing on verses 3 to 6 today, so have that in your mind, but I'll read verses 1 to 16 just for context. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, that is, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that even though we face many restrictions, including the restriction that we can't even come and meet together, Lord, and fellowship together, to hear, um, to hear your word proclaimed and to sing your praises and to pray as a body, even though we can't do that, Lord, we just thank you that even in the midst of it, we can still come before you individually. We can come together corporately as we uh, hear your word proclaimed. So just open up your word to us this morning, this day, whenever it is that we are listening, Lord. Open up our minds to your word. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. Help us to know it. Thereby, Lord, bring us closer to you. Help us to see you as our glorious end. Help us to seek you 
Lord, and you alone. Just grant me wisdom, grant me clarity of mind as I, as I open up your word and seek to um, instruct your people, Lord. You are the good shepherd. And help me to walk worthy of my calling, to be an under-shepherd. Lord, come and work in our church. Work in our hearts, work in our minds. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you continue to sustain us. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray, amen. So again, we're in Ephesians 4, and this is, this is part 2 of, of 4 as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Um, as we saw last week, it was about walking worthy of our calling as individuals. That was verses 1 and 2, and today we're looking at verses 3 and 6, which is to walk worthy of your calling, but in unity. As we look at the context, that'll be our, our first kind of little jaunt, is just to look at the context if we look at the context for the whole chapter, not for the whole chapter, sorry, for the whole chunk that we're looking at, verse up to verse 16, we see that verses 13 to 16 are about Christian maturity. It's about growing up into Christ. It's about having the body grow so that it is able to build itself up in love. But it comes right after the gifts and the offices. So we see that maturity is actually the reason why we are given uh, the gifts of the Spirit, why we are given offices such as apostle and evangelist and prophet and shepherd teacher. Those gifts are supposed to bring us to maturity. And as we see, especially in verse 16, that maturity comes when each part is working properly. If the body isn't working properly, it isn't going to grow and to be built up. A broken clock is right twice a day. So even something broken can have the semblance of being in right order. But a, a clock that has parts that, that don't work isn't, isn't going to be right. It's not going to be a good clock. So even as the church, when we come and we seem to do things right, it's really easy to say, hey, that, that, that looks okay because it's, it's right sometimes. It's right two times a day. However... I want to consider the church as a slow-moving clock uh, or a clock that just isn't, isn't working properly that can be fixed. We have a clock in our house that, that Melissa got from, uh, from her grandma, and it's got birds on it. It's got one bird for each hour. Um, and on the hour, it, it makes a calling of that bird. However, if you set the clock wrongly, if we set the clock you know, when we're doing daylight savings time and we go backwards an hour instead of going forward 11 hours, if we go backwards counterclockwise, if we put the clock the backwards, the backwards the wrong way, if we bring the clock back the wrong way, it's not going to work. All the bird sounds are going to be out of order. The owl won't be at, at noon. It'll be at a different hour. The goose won't be at five. It'll be at a different hour. So if we try to fix the clock the wrong way, it, it, it won't work properly. So... The, res the response, the reality is that we have to fix the clock. If a clock is slow and you have to fix it every couple hours, most of us will just chuck it out. We'll give up on it. However, as the church, if the church is going to be like that clock in this analogy, it's going to be our job to continue bringing it back up to speed. 
And so that's what the gifts and offices are for. As we see here, it's to bring us into maturity. And we'll look at this more in a couple of weeks when we go over those verses specifically. Next, keep going, if we keep going backwards, we see that these gifts and offices, verses 7 to 12, are for the purpose of diversity. Paul says in verse 7 that grace was given to each one of us. So in verses 3 to 6, he says, hey, I have some unity here. But then in verse 7, he says, but grace was given to, uh, according to, to, to a different measure to different people. And so we see that that diversity comes out of unity, but also leads into the gifts and therefore maturity. So that's kind of where we're at now. We come to verses 3 to 6. And verses 3 to 6 are all about living according to our calling in unity. But all of this stems from walking worthy of our calling. That we see in verses 1 to 2. Walking worthy of our calling as individuals. And as we'll see, it's impossible to have unity. It's impossible to have diversity in gifts. And therefore, it's impossible to have maturity, to grow as Christians, if we are not individually walking worthy of our calling. We see here, especially as we've looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's talked a lot about regeneration. And regeneration is important because when we look at verses 1 to 2 here in chapter 4, we have to walk with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And that's impossible to do if we are not regenerated, if we have not been born again, if we have not been, been given a new life by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul goes through three chapters painstakingly to talk about what God has done in Christ, how he's adopted us, how he's predestined us for adoption, how he's brought us alive. And we've covered all this, so I won't, I won't go over it um, too much. But we see that regeneration, the new birth, being born again is, is a necessity to be able to walk worthy of our calling. We've been called to something and now we have to walk in it. But we can't walk in it if we've missed that call. We can't walk in it if, if we're still living in the kingdom of the world. We, can, we can't walk in it if we're not regenerate, if we have yet to be born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that you can't see the kingdom, you can't know the kingdom, you can't understand the things of the kingdom if you're not born again. Regeneration is this act of being born again. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable. In Ephesians 2, as Paul has already said, it's God bringing us to life from death. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're new creations. Those who are in Christ are new creation. It's not simply you make a decision and you say, I'm going to walk this way now. No, God regenerates you. He brings you to life. He brings you new life and makes you a new creation. That's regeneration. And so without regeneration, we can't walk humbly. We can't walk with gentleness. We can't walk with patience. We can't walk according to our callings that, that we've been called to. And therefore, we can't walk in unity. And therefore, we can't walk in diversity. And therefore, we will never grow as Christians. Because if you trace it all the way back, we find that we're not Christians. So the only way to grow in maturity is to be a diverse body. And the only way to be a diverse body is to first be united. But the only way to be united is to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. 
And the only way to do that is to be born again, to walk by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. So we come to our first, our first point. This is our technically our second point, but it'll be our first point for today, and that's true and false unity. Paul says we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. There's seven ones in here, and we'll look at that in a few seconds, but this, this shows us that there's true unity and false unity. Why? Because we're supposed to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians 5. It's just the, the book just before Ephesians. And we're in Galatians 5, and I'm going to read verses 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things or who make a practice of doing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul is saying here that to walk in the Spirit is to be born of the Spirit. We are to be people who are born again of the Spirit. And therefore, this fruit of the Spirit is what should um, be exhibited in our lives. This is what should mark our lives, this fruit Yes, we sin. Yes, we give into the flesh and we repent and turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins and for, for sanctification. But this fruit is how our lives should look. This is what it means to walk worthy of our calling. As we see in verse 3, of going back to Ephesians, as we see in verse 3, it's the, it's the Spirit who is the author of unity. And so to walk in unity of the Spirit means to, as we've already seen in, in verses 1 to 2 and in Galatians 5, is to walk in the Spirit. To walk in a spirit of unity, you have to walk in the Spirit. You cannot walk in the flesh. So true unity has the Spirit of God as its author and has people who are walking by the Spirit as the participants. Because there's true unity, there's also false unity. We see in Galatians 5, 19 to 21 that the works of the flesh are evident. That the works of the flesh are opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. There's no tension there. You can't have one and have the other. You can't have your feet on both sides of the fence. And so the outside world, not born by the Spirit, 
unbelievers, do not have true unity. While a semblance of unity um, might exist or an image of unity might exist, it's not true unity because it's not born by the Spirit of God. And it's not lived out by the people of God. What the world does, and too often what the church does, is shove things under the rug just to keep the peace. Instead of dealing with the dirt and the mess, it all gets shoved under the rug. And relationships fall apart. That's how most marriages end. Too much dirt gets shoved under the rug, and it gets too big to walk on. And then it all comes out, and it's just too much to clean up. Everything has to be chucked in the garbage, including the relationship. That's how relationships fall apart. Too much under the rug. And it's a sad state when the church is not able to deal with that. The world has a false unity because what it says is just let people do what they want as long as they don't hurt anybody. Let's have everyone do that which is right in their own eyes and let everybody get to decide what they want. Then we'll have peace because we'll have a lack of conflict. However, and I'll quote Brian Chappelle here, the call to unity is not a justification for anything goes or nothing really matters. So what Paul is calling us to here, unity in the spirit and to walk by the spirit, as Brian Chappell says, is the call to unity is not a justification for anything goes. We don't get to do that which is right in our own eyes for the sake of unity. We've already seen that sin has to be dealt with. And as much as this is a call to walk in unity by walking by the Spirit, it is therefore also a call to stop living in the flesh. We can't have it both ways, as it says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. The works of the flesh are opposed to those of the fruit of the Spirit. Again, there's no tension here. If you are walking in the Spirit, you will not walk in the flesh. But if you are walking in the flesh... You cannot walk in the Spirit. And so in order to have true unity in the church, it needs to be made up of people who are not just Spirit-birthed, but people who are Spirit-led, walking in the Spirit. What is it then to walk in the Spirit? To be led by the Spirit. What should it look like as the church? Where should we pull our unity from? I'll, I'll read 1 Corinthians 12, um, verses 12 to 13, just to give us a bit of context here as well. Um, but then we'll look at verses 4 to 6 in Ephesians to kind of cement this idea. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And so we come to Ephesians 4 verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's three minor points here. The first one is that we have one identity. As Christians, as people born of the Spirit, as people walking in the Spirit, we have unity because we have one identity. We are one body. Regardless of our differences, we are one body. We are one body because we are in Christ. He is the head. We are the body. We all make up one body. There's not multiple Christs. There's not one head and multiple bodies. There's one Christ and one body, and we are in that one body. There is one name by which we're called. And on one level, we're all the same. The same salvation, the same adoption, the same sonship, the same inheritance, even if those are at um, different levels at, at some point in time. We see that some grace is given to more, uh, more grace is given to some people, I should say. We have one identity. Next, our second point, we have one testimony. We all share the same testimony. We should share the same testimony. What is that? Saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. And that testimony that we share sees its outward indication through our one baptism. Quote Brian uh, Chapel again. We testify, we testify that Jesus is Lord. We testify that faith in his work on our behalf is our only means of salvation. And by our baptism, we testify that we are cleansed of sin and united to him by his grace alone. Our testimony is the same. Regardless of how that testimony comes about and all the, the, the minutia of details within that testimony, our testimonies are all going to be different for how God has brought us to himself. But that testimony at its foundational level is all the same. We are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. Third, we are one family. As we've already seen in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, We've been adopted. We've been predestined for adoption. We didn't choose him. He chose us. We have been adopted into one family by the same, by the only true father. There is only one race, the human race. Each one of us made in God's image. We've all, as believers, as those born again by the Spirit, all of us have been adopted into the same family. Each of us is for whom Christ died, called to love beyond differences of race or class or perspective or personality. We are called to love one another because we are the same family, because we share the same testimony, because we share the same identity. We are called to love one another. However, again, I'll go back to that Brian Chapel quote. Unity as an idol. Unity can be an idol that covers sin. We can idolize unity so much 
that we cover over sin for the sake of unity. That we cover over other sins for the sake of unity. That we cover over our own sin for the sake of unity. That's how unity becomes an idol. Says Brian Chapel, the call, again, the call to unity is not a justification for anything goes and nothing really matters, but rather a calling constantly to examine our church, our denomination, our traditions, in order to make sure that they cohere with and are directed towards the truths of Scripture. The call to unity is not a justification for anything goes where nothing really matters for the sake of unity. But rather, to be united is a calling constantly to examine our church, our denomination, our traditions, ourselves, to make sure that, that we're in line with Scripture. I'll quote John Stott um, just to help us understand how this all fits together as well. First, start talking about uh, verses uh, four to six. First, there is one body because there is one spirit. We are vitalized by the spirit. That's what brings us together. We're born again of the same spirit. And so there's one body because there is only one spirit. We haven't been all born differently of different spirits. There's one spirit who has given us all life. The one body is the church, the one body of Christ. There is only one Christ. There is only one body. There is only one life-giving spirit. There is only one body. Its unity is due to the one Holy Spirit who indwells and animates it. Second, there is one hope belonging to our Christian calling. There is one faith and one baptism because there is only one Lord. Jesus Christ is the object of the faith. He is the object of the faith, the hope, and the baptism of all Christian people. It is Jesus Christ in whom we have, been, uh, in whom we have believed. Jesus Christ into whom we have been baptized. And Jesus Christ for whose coming we await with expectant hope. There's one, one faith, one hope, and one baptism because it's all in Christ. And Christ is the only one in whom all of these things come together in. Thirdly, there is one Christian family. To use the language of Ephesians 3, we can say there's one household of God. One Christian family embracing us all because there is one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all. And that's all of us as Christians. The one Father creates one family. The one Lord Jesus creates the one faith, hope, and baptism, and the one Spirit creates one body. We are one family because we have the same Father. However, we are not acting like family when as individuals we are walk not walking in the Spirit. When as individuals we are walking in the flesh instead of the Spirit. We may have the semblance of unity, but so much has been swept under the rug that it's fake. The clock may seem to be working because it's right twice a day, or the second hand is moving slowly, but it's broken. We 
when we are not walking according to the calling with which we've been called, as individuals, we cannot have unity. Let's summarize. When we look at verses 13 to 16 in this section, we need to take careful consideration because it says that when each part is working properly, the body grows and is built up in love. Therefore, if the body is not working properly, there is no building up in love and there is no growth. And so the first thing we need to make sure we're doing is that we are walking in the spirit, not the flesh. That as Christians, we, as people who confess the name of Christ, we actually possess the spirit. That our confession is not in vain. That we are actually regenerate in our hearts, born again. And only then can we walk in unity. We have to first walk in the spirit as individuals. And then we have to walk in, in unity. What that means is that as born-again Christians, we're acting like Christians. Not just in church on Sundays, but out in the world where we're salt and light. Where people are, are not questioning our language or questioning our actions or questioning our behaviors and saying, I thought you were a Christian, don't you go to church? To walk in unity means to act like Christians. To be people who are led by the Spirit. And then thirdly, we need to walk in diversity, which we'll look at next week. The fact is, is that we will never grow to be mature Christians. We will never be a mature church. We will never grow at all if we do not get these things sorted out. Paul's call for us here, the Lord's call on our lives is to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager. It's not some passive existence. The Greek, the Greek here is emphatic about what we need to do. What it really is saying is that we are to spare no effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's a call that continues. It's diligent activity. It excludes passivity or quietism or a wait-and-see attitude. It's a call to action, not to watch. It's deliberate action. What Paul is saying is yours is the initiative. Get it done now. I mean it. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul is calling us all to be unified by walking in the Spirit individually and then coming together as people who are broken, in need of repentance, knowing we are in need of repentance, and getting the dirt out from under the rug and dealing with it. Or else we'll never grow. In conclusion, let's, let's have a look at John 13. Uh, I'll, I'll start with John 13 and then we'll go to John 17. Just a, just a few verses. In John 13, we're in verses uh, 34 to 35. And then in 17, we're in... Um, uh, verse, verse 20 or so. So this is John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by your love for one another, in the same way that Jesus loved us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What Jesus is saying here is don't make it, just don't come together just so you feel good. Don't be jerks, but don't come together just to make yourself feel good. Jesus says, you love one another just as I have loved you. Remember at one point, Jesus told, called Peter Satan. When Peter was more concerned with the things of the world than he was with the things of heaven, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. He was gracious and merciful because he's God. But he spoke the truth in love as we'll see next week when we look at Ephesians, what we're supposed to do. By this, love for one another, despite our failings, despite the dirt that comes out of the rug, we love one another. We forgive one another. We act in humility. We act with patience. We act with gentleness. We are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in these things because we are all broken, in need of repentance, in need of forgiveness. And there's nobody else to do it with because the world thinks we're nuts. By this love, the world will see how we love one another. In John 17, again, uh, we were in John 17 a couple weeks ago, but um, again, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I'll read from uh, verses 20 to 23. John 17, 20 to 23. So this is, he's praying and he moves on from praying just for his disciples and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Again, what these verses come down to is so that the world looks at the church, sees the mess that it is, but sees that we still love each other. Not that we just can come and hang out on Sundays and not tear each other's heads off, but that we love each other. Despite our differences, despite our, our backgrounds, our histories, our cultures, that we love each other. Despite the sins that we have had against each other, despite all the, the dirt under the rug, that we can still come and, and look at that and say, grace, thanks be to God for the grace that he's given me, that he's given us to be able to look at this and deal with it. Because as soon as we're trying to do it in our flesh, we're, ne we're never going to be able to do it. We may think we have unity, but we don't. By this, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples. Regardless of what they think about Jesus, they may think Jesus is a madman or a lunatic or non-existent. 
but they will know that we're his disciples. It doesn't mean they're going to love us. It doesn't mean they're going to love him. But they'll know that we are Christ's disciples. Because right now the world looks at the church and they say, well, I, I, like Jesus is an okay guy. You know, he said some things that I don't agree with. But you look at the church and, and it doesn't look like they're disciples of that guy. But that's why we need to love each other. John Stott, we are to demonstrate to the world that the unity we say exists indestructibly is not the rather sick joke that it sounds, but a true and glorious reality. We aren't actually acting like family when as individuals we are not walking in the spirit. When as individuals we are walking in the flesh. It's all hands on deck to keep the clock on time. Isn't just to sit and look at it and leave it broken and say, well, it's right two times a day, so it's good enough. It isn't right to just sit and look at it and watch it as the wrong bird sings at the wrong time or as it slowly comes out of time and just let it sit and say, well, okay, well, the clock's slow, so let's, we'll just, you know, add some extra time to, to find out the real time. That's not right either. It's not just one person's job. It's not just a few people's job. It's every single one of us. Paul is telling every single one of us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. When I was in the military, um, it often didn't work because we were always shorthanded, but we tried to have this, uh, it was almost like a coverage system where um, one person would know multiple jobs and, uh, and somebody else would know multiple jobs and everybody would, in a sense, be able to cover each other off. So if somebody was sick, um, the job would still get done. And the reason for this is because when you're in theater and, and, you know, God forbid somebody gets shot, somebody dies, their job still needs to get done. As painful as it is, th that job still needs to get done. And so there has to be some kind of coverage. When one person or two people or a few people are the only ones at work and doing something or know how to do it, when they leave, everything's a mess because no one knows what to do. They've never been taught what to do. They've never been shown what to do. And so it's all of us, every single one of us, that needs to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. To ensure that we're walking worthy of our calling. To ensure that we're coming together as a fellowship of believers, loving one another, exercising our spiritual gifts, working out that diversity that stems from our unity, thereby growing in faith. We need to walk worthy of our calling. In the Spirit, in unity, in diversity, and on to maturity. But this cannot be done if we are not born again. If God has not regenerated your heart and mind, if he has not put his spirit in you and you have not responded in faith, then there's no point. There's going to be no growth. 
There's going to be no diversity in your life. There's in, in your in the gifts that you've been given. There's going to be no unity for you in the church. It's going to be fake. And so we need to come to Christ. Turn to Christ in faith. Look to him for forgiveness. Look to him in repentance. See yourself as in need of the new birth. To be born again of the Spirit. Because we must walk in the Spirit. We must labor for God. We must labor for holiness. Seek after righteousness. We must seek after it, knowing we have not yet attained it. We must strive after the fruit of the Spirit instead of walking in the works of the flesh. And if we're walking in the works of the flesh, then we need to repent and turn to Christ. Seek forgiveness, seek grace, seek His power to walk in the Spirit. If you see that you are not humble, not gentle, if you're not loving, if you're not peaceful or patient or you're not exercising self-control, when you see that instead you are sensual, sexually immoral, impure, jealous, if you're causing divisions, if you're causing dissension, if you're having fits of anger, seek Christ. He is the only way to walk. Only by having your heart born again, having your heart regenerated. Can you even begin to walk by the Spirit? So repent and turn to Him and seek to be renewed. As He cares for us and grants us grace upon grace, as He continues to renew us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Thank you that even though this is like just super awkward trying to open up your word, Lord, when we're not together, to just send it out. Lord, you say even in your word that it does not return to you void. Lord, so come and, and change us by your word. Your word is truth, Lord. So sanctify us by that truth. Bring us closer into Christ. Bring us ever deeper in to Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Just come. Work in our hearts. Work in this town, Lord. Bring us into a place where we see Christ. Where our unity is, is real. Where we can come to a place to deal with all this stuff under the rug. Lord, come. Thank you for Jesus in, in whom we have the reconciliation, Lord. You have redeemed us because of the blood of the Lamb. You have provided for your own self a propitiation for your wrath. Lord, you are just. You are the justifier. All glorious praise to your name, Father. In Jesus' name, we come before you. We pray. We thank you. Amen.
next week, if you wanted to read ahead, I suggest that you do. We'll be in um, Ephesians four once again, but we'll be we'll be in uh, basically verses seven to twelve, and we'll be looking at um, what it means to walk worthy of our calling in unity, but then in diversity, and we'll look at um, the offices that God has given by grace, and we'll look at how those. Um, will eventually feed into what it means to grow in maturity. Finish off with uh, with number six again. I always read it because I, f- I forget in the midst of all my my ramblings and the, the stuff going on in my head. I, I always miss it up, so I'd rather I'd rather read it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. And this is how you will bless the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and so shall I bless them. And so, people of God, you have the name of our great Father on you. And because of that, you are blessed. Because he looks down upon you, you are blessed, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a good, have a good week. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. Hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.